Hey there, friend. I'm Susan, and this is the Spark Chasers podcast, a series dedicated to the educational changemakers who embrace creativity, seek out challenges, and collaborate on solutions. This is a show for any educator looking to explore the creative side in the classroom, business, and life. So grab a cup of caffeine, your favorite flare pen, and let's chat about what's now and what could be next. Hey there, Spark Chasers. I'm excited to be back with you today with another interview. So today's interview is with Nicholas Ferroni. Now, if you don't know, Nicholas is a high school teacher and nationally recognized social activist who educates, mentors, and inspires students to reach their goals while driving a national dialogue about education reform. Nick was named Upstander of the Year by HRC, which is a human rights campaign, for his outspoken advocacy and support for LGBTQ youth, and was also noted as one of the 100 Making a Difference, one of the most influential educators in America, and honored by the Foundation on Gender Equality, the American Conference on Diversity, and the United Nations Women's Division. He is amazing, my friends. His expertise and strong opinions about education have made him a sought-after expert on nationally known programs such as ABC's The View, MSNBC, The Huffington Post, and more. Nick has also been featured in USA Today for his advocacy and work for teachers, focusing on his No Summers Off campaign, where he featured teachers in every state and shared what they do over the summer and to expose the myth, myth that teachers have summers off. As a history teacher to extremely diverse students in his hometown of Union, New Jersey, Nick developed a Teach the Truth campaign to incorporate more minority figures in social studies curriculum, as well as including the history of the gay and lesbian civil rights movement. In addition, he helped found his school's Gay Straight Alliance and Feminist Club. Ferroni has become renowned for employing innovative and unique approaches to teaching his students. His social experiment on the importance of gender equality in politics went viral, garnering the attention of news outlets and television programs nationwide. The Views Whoopi Goldberg called it the best social experiment ever. And I am excited for you to hear Nick's ideas and kind of revolutionary thinking about how we as teachers can leverage social media and the tools that we have at our at our disposal to be able to affect positive change, not only for our students, but also for our profession. So without further ado, here's my interview with Nick. All right. Well, hey there, Nicholas. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Just getting done with my hybrid class. So now kind of unwinding a little bit. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) So tell me how hybrid works for you. Everybody's looks a little different. I will say I had the luxury of watching other teachers go through hybrid and sharing their experiences, their best practices, their epic failures and what works. Yeah. Uh, so I'm only in my second week. We started last week. So I had the, the luxury of watching other teachers kind of uh, test pilot the whole hybrid system and mm-hmm. share what's working. And again, I'm, it's like anything else where it's an on-the-job experience. Like everyone's a first-year teacher this year and last year as well. So whether you had 40 years or you were in your first year, everybody was a first-year teacher. Uh, but the hybrid model is interesting. I always feel like those old movies, like I always compare myself to like Zach Marsh from Saved by the Bell, where it's like you're, you're, you're in the scene, all of a sudden you turn to the camera and kind of reflect and recap what just happened, where it's 
it's back and forth. It's, it's like having a real conversation in person and a virtual conversation at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. My daughter is in, um, she's in school three days a week, physically in, and then just virtual two days a week. They consider that hybrid. So everybody's, like I said, everybody's a little different. So um, anyway, uh, for those people who do not know you, can you just give us a little background about yourself and what you do? I'm, I'm Nicholas Ferroni. I'm a high school history, cultural studies, and history through pop culture and mass media teacher uh, in Union, New Jersey. Okay. I'm currently in my 18th year as a teacher. Uh, best job in the world. I've honestly always wanted to be a teacher. I had amazing teachers growing up who inspired me. Uh, Indiana Jones was also another inspiration, the whole history <laughs> dynamic. But I just, I mean, I'm someone who has a unique platform who tries to use my platform to not only bring attention to what teachers are going through, but also help bring awareness to, to education change and help celebrate, promote, and kind of recognize teachers and educators. Yeah. And it's, I always think all change starts with awareness. And I think m most people have no idea what we go through. And I know a lot of teachers uh, are silenced, silenced because they feel like they're not allowed to share what their concerns are. So I try to use my platform to, to help amplify their voices and share their messages. I love that. Um, I, this idea of silencing teachers and for teachers who might be afraid of being silenced, not that they necessarily are, um, which I do believe that they are in some cases, but teachers who are nervous about being silenced, how have you gone about that process do you just kind of go full steam ahead and just like, you know what, I don't care if somebody tries to silence me, I'm going to say it anyway. Or how have you kind of navigated those waters? Well, I think first and foremost, I'm tenured. Yeah. Yeah. Which a lot of educators don't have that luxury. At the same time, uh, I work in a great district. I've, I, I don't, I have a great relationship with our administration. I have their support. I have our superintendent support. I have nothing bad to say about our district. I would if I had to, but I don't. Mm -hmm. uh, so, which is also a nice luxury. So a lot of times when I'm venting and complaining outside of the things that I go through, like working multiple jobs as an educator, buying supplies and things like that. Uh, to me, it's not about my district and it's never about most people's districts because this is more of a state and federal issue. Right. So when I, when I think, and I, I think most people don't realize that when, when I, when I criticize the system, I'm not criticizing my district or when teachers speak out, it's not our district. They're doing the best with what they have and the resources and abilities they have. Mm -hmm. It all trickles down from the state and the federal government. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I have the luxury of, first of all, what I say is true. So it's not defamation or slander. Second, I'm saying it from a place of kind of generalization on this is kind of a blanket issue that we're all going through. Mm -hmm. So I'd never, I mean, I've not, and again, I'm not, Teachers don't have that luxury where they're going, and some teachers are going through stuff that is directly linked to their district or their administration or things like that. I don't, I, I luckily do not have that problem. And if I did, I would speak out against it, mm -hmm. uh, which as teachers are like, well, they can't fire you for speaking out. Uh, they can't fire you for speaking out, <laughs> but what they can do is they can make your workload tougher. They can target you. They could, they could slander you on your observ observations. They could give you extra duties. They could change schools within the so there's a lot of ways they could punish you without directly firing you. And I think that's always a major concern. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when we're, we're talking about educational reform and particularly this past year, mm. what are some of the things that you feel like made the biggest impact for teachers and maybe against teachers? I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, it continues to bring to light what 
And what I'm saying, and when I tweet stuff, I'm not the first person saying it. This, this oh, is yeah. a common lexicon in reference to education, education reform. Uh, I mean, the first and foremost would be that teachers are irreplaceable. You know, virtual teaching and all these tech tools, and you could be savvy with everything, and you could create all these great slides and presentations. They're great teaching tools, but the teacher is irreplaceable. The messenger can't be replaced. And I think virtual teaching showed us that parents could have all the resources in the world, but unless you could deliver that message and, and, and provide that message in a commentary or a connection to that child, it doesn't matter. Like TVs would have replaced teachers a long time ago. We're irreplaceable. Right. And that's my argument too. And so it's like people are saying, oh, virtual teaching for replace teachers. No, it can't. You know, you could have all the videos in the world and all the books in the world about a topic, but someone still has to explain it and, and, and kind of make sure or blend it in a way where students can understand it. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing I think it exposed a lot was the inequities in education, how, you know, a lot of people have, have referred to this as privileged learning. When you have all the resources and you have all the support, you're, to, you're an advantage. You're, start, you're starting off at the, at the starting point. Other students are starting behind the starting point. And we've exposed all the inequities and all the things that are not necessary. Like teachers forever have been saying how unnecessary standardized testing is <laughs> and how it doesn't make teachers accountable. We've, we've shown that over and over again. We've revealed that. Uh, class size how it's, it's essential class size. You could cure all, most of the problems that come with school, with uh, education situations, as far as student health, mental health, uh, academics would all be cured if, if teachers can develop relationships with those class sizes. Mm -hmm. But it's the one thing that I always bring up where everybody's like, well, there's no study that shows class size has a direct impact. I'm like, well, every study shows that it's all about relationships. So you can't have relationships in a class of 40 only in a class of 15 or 20. So therefore class size, whether it's specifically saying that you need class size in order to monitor those relationships or make those connections with students. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many things that the pandemic has exposed and revealed that educators have known. And now people are like, oh my God, you know, students need, students eat at school. I never knew that. Oh, students get better, <laughs> better. You know, they need school for their mental health. I never knew, you know, it's like, but it's like the same people who are crying for sending kids back to school are not also fighting to get more counselors in school, to get more resources, to, to get class sizes smaller so I can know if a student's going through a serious situation. I can have those things. So it's funny how they're pointing out the problem, but they're not willing to resolve or fix the problem. Right. That's why I think long term they're not in they're not in, in it right long term it this is a this is a kind of bubble moment for them and then they can for lack of better word go back and and send their students to schools and just go back to quote unquote normal and there it's is normal. no normal anymore right no. um and I, I i like this idea of pointing out the issues that we've had with equity um, and of course, as educators, we've known all along that there are equity issues, but also the differentiation between equality and equity. And I think that has become more of a conversation than we've seen before in communities who perhaps have not thought of it that way before and use those terms interchangeably when we as educators know that they are very different. Um, this idea of that you talked about teachers being a little afraid that virtual learning was going to replace teachers. I want to touch on this a little bit because I feel like we hear this a lot with arts integration that particularly from arts educators who are worried that arts integration will replace them as arts educators. And similar to your point, we have always said that arts integration is not possible without direct arts instruction from arts educators, right? And so, but I think it hits on this common fear of teachers feeling as though 
the world in some capacity is going to replace them, whether that's with technology or with the, the latest, greatest tool that's out there or a, a methodology. Where do you think that fear stems from? Well, it stems from corporations who are pushing those formats as replaceable means. I mean, and there are so many going out, so many billionaires who fund these YouTube channels and these foundations about education when they try to implement that they're doing it for the right reasons, when they're solely doing it for profit. And, and they're very great at saying, oh, your kids, oh, all they have to do is watch these videos and, and, and use these prod and these slides. And, and they're, they're convincing people that it's somehow, it's somehow as effective as it would be in a classroom with an educator, you know, mentoring, nurturing and those things. And I think that's the misconception where people think just because, again, like technology, it's a tool, it's not a teacher. You know, me watching, there's no, there's such a distinguishable difference between me watching a video about history and me having access to a history teacher. And I don't think people realize that. And they're trying to perpetuate these myths that we know are not true. And the sad reality is they're saying them so often and trying to use data to back them up, which is misinterpreted to make it seem like it's an equal substitute for an actual in-person educator. In fact, you even said that they're trying to, their arts integration is trying to like, is thinks that it's somehow comparable to an art teacher at it blows my mind because I would think of all the subjects, the arts or show how an educator is more essential than anything else. Yes. Yes. And it's, but it's a, it's a fear. And honestly, that particular fear is based in the reality of budget cuts and where cuts have happened. And because they've cut arts educators um, in other places, they've then implemented arts integration, which we know isn't really arts integration um, in classrooms with classroom teachers who are not prepared. So um, similar- My comparison I always give, I'm sorry, my comparison I always give, which is a very straightforward one is, if you think, if you think virtual education could replace real education in person, then real, then virtual parenting could replace real parenting and parents are not necessary, you know? And it's like, I'm not saying we're parents, but we, it's the same dynamic. Then a child doesn't need an actual parent present. Yeah. Right, which we all know is ridiculous. Yeah, it's Absolutely. ridiculous. Yes. So what do you think is the linchpin to help guide some of this change that we definitely need? It, it, we have to, and it comes back to lobbying. And it's like, I hate to say it, but like I did an interview the other uh, a few weeks back where they were like, you know, how happy are you to have Dr. Jill Biden in the White House? How happy are you to have an educator? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm optimistic, but I'm cautious because we've had educators. Once they get in office, they cater to the lobbyists. Unfortunately, public schools don't have people lobbying like the nonprofits, the privatization, the test companies. They're the ones spending the millions. They're the ones donating to campaigns. They're the ones who are lobbying because they're for profit. Public educators, the only thing we have outside of our union are our platforms. Yes. And it's like, and change will only occur until we kind of stop seeing education as a for-profit and we get that lobby money out of there that the Pearsons and these companies kind of always implement and, and these, these privatization companies always try to implement. Yeah. Because it's like, we're, we're, we're fighting for the right things, but they have the money, which obviously gets them the ear of the right people. Yeah. So do you feel like social media provides an opportunity for teachers that maybe didn't exist before? I think social media is the only opportunity for teachers because even within our unions, we have a union president who speaks on our behalf. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think social media is bringing so much more awareness, but again, shouting without action is, is, is useless. You know, there has to be some action. Uh, We have to, we have to start finding ways to protest the right way. Uh, We have to find ways to, to, to make sure not only people bring awareness, but we elect teachers and we elect 
public school friendly edu- uh, people into office mm-hmm. uh, that we speak out and that we lobby as much and we speak out in, in, a, in a politically active way as often as people are who are op- in opposition. Yeah. So how would you, um, when you said um, to protest in the right way, how do you feel, the, what does that look like? I mean, I, I made a joke, which was kind of a joke, but at the same time in reality, but then people, educators in Canada pointed out that they actually did this and it worked. Where I said, imagine what would happen if teachers only did our contractual duties and, and, and use our contractual, uh, the resources that were supplied to us. Imagine we only worked what we, what we did, what we had to work based on our contract. Yeah. The education system would falter, it would fall apart. Because yeah. I mean, education is built on the unpaid labor of, of educators you know, un, and the supplies of educators. So the running joke would be if educators, as a form of protest, we only did our job. That was it. Just <laughs> our job. No more, no less. Yeah. And it's like that form of protest, people would realize how essential it is and, and how far and above we go beyond what we have to do. Yeah. I mean, outside of, of doing like a march on Washington or you know, calling, again, har- harassing our elected officials, calling them, because we are a force. Educators are an absolute force, and I don't think they realize that enough. And not threatening, the irony is we don't do it because we care so much about the kids, we don't want to hurt them in the interim. Mm. Yeah, because that was going to be my next follow-up, yeah. was why don't more people then advocate and yeah. do those kinds of protests? Well, it's like, and the sad reality is we... When you support teachers, you support students. I hate when people separate the two. If you're pro-teacher, you're pro-student. If you're pro-student, you're pro-teacher. But again, they make it seem like, oh, we should support teachers and or we support students. Well, then support teachers. And I promise you, it trickles down to students. Right. You know, if we don't have to work two jobs in order to survive, think about how much better instruction we can provide to students. Mm-hmm. We don't have to buy our own supplies. Think about, you know, it's like things like that where it's it's just one of those things where we can, we can advocate. And I get it. I used to be guilty of it too, the toxic positivity kind of, you know, at the same time, like we could criticize our job and complain about it and still love it as we do, mm-hmm. you know, and we have, to, and it's like, that's the thing. We have to constantly bring awareness and share things, share our salaries, share what we're doing, bring awareness, whether it makes people empathetic and at least then encourages them to be more supportive of public schools, mm-hmm. even if they don't have children in them. So do you feel like transparency is a key component to that? I think transparency is a huge component to that. Yeah. And it's interesting, like even sharing a, a, a tweet that went viral last year about teacher salaries. Mm-hmm. Like, again, I teach in New Jersey. Like, I'm pretty savvy. I had no idea the discrepancy of salaries depending on the state. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like, I and again, cost of living, whatever. Like, that's such a minor, minor uh, aspect of it. Right. But it's like... The best teacher in Oklahoma should be making as much as the best teacher in New Jersey is a veteran teacher. It's so it's it's just things like that, that social social media has made me so much more aware of and has informed me so much on and also inspired me so much to realize how many amazing educators we care so much. Mm. You know, we're we're on on weekends, we're on social media discussing our job, sharing resources. I can't imagine another profession that goes on outside their hours talking about their job, trying to connect with people to better do their jobs than educators. Right. I mean, can you imagine your accountant going into like social media groups on a Saturday? Nobody, nobody else. No way. Um, So what are some of the biggest opportunities that you're seeing in education right now? The biggest opportunities is to, which again, would be to address the things that as educators we've done for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, we know mental health for students is a serious thing. 
At the same time, I can't, I, I, my heart goes out to counselors. Most schools only have one or two counselors. And if they, if they have a child psychologist, they're lucky. They're yeah. lucky to have. And it's like, and these counselors are having a workload of 100, 200, 300 students. Mm-hmm. That's theoretically impossible to get to know and kind of care about each student and have to maintain your workload. Right. Uh, the same thing with providing, make sure all students have the tech they need, uh, the resources that they need, which again, when you, most teachers, we supply the resources when the school does not provide them for us. Right. And that's something like, these are the things that should be addressed that so many people are shouting about at the same time. They're not, right. you know, we're still giving standardized tests. Why? And the only logic I could see why is the companies still want to get paid. And second, they want to use this data against us in the future to say, look how bad teachers did. Look at these scores went down. They'll, they won't mention it was during a pandemic. They won't mention all the, all the stuff that was going on, but they'll try to use this data to convince people that we're somehow not doing our jobs. Right. And the thing about data is that you can make data say whatever you want it to say. Whatever you want. Whatever, whatever you, you want. want. Yeah. Right. And that's what people don't understand. So um, I, I totally agree. I can't, I can't wrap my head around standardized testing either, particularly now. But, but they, I but they know it's it wrong and they're story. doing it. Yeah, they're, they know it's wrong. They're doing it for obviously the wrong reasons. And we know that. Right, of course. But then they say teachers don't want you to do it because they don't want to be held accountable. Because as if we wouldn't do our jobs if we didn't have standardized testing. Right. So again, yeah. look at all the other evidence to support like the fact that we're, we are working after hours to try and better ourselves and therefore better our students. Um, so just to wrap things up, and this is such a great conversation. I hate this to cut so it short, quick. I apologize. Yeah. No, 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 it's fine. So what do you think the most important thing educators can walk away with this year? I think the one thing which I try to do a lot was to show you you're not alone. Uh, we, we, there was a shared suffering with educators. We were all struggling. A lot of times we joked about our struggles because it's always better to laugh instead of cry. Yeah. But at the same time, I think educators can know that we have to, you know, we have to be our own best advocates. We don't have these, these lobbyists lobbying for us and we have to be outspoken. We have to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to share. And it's not, and you're not a complainer or you're not, you know, you're, you're not a downer for sharing why you're struggling, why you're working extra jobs, why you're doing this. It's just bringing awareness. And again, you can love your job and criticize your job at the same time. And it's like, as a parent, you can criticize your children and yet still love your children. It doesn't mean it's, hey. you know, you can love your job so much that you want to better it in every way. And things are good, but we have, we have such a great opportunity to make them better. We just have to be outspoken. We have to defend each other in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's and both, not either or oftentimes. Yeah. yeah. So Nick, how can people get in touch with you? How can they find you on social media? Let us know. Uh, it's my, my Twitter and Instagram are the same. It's at Nicholas Ferroni. Uh, at the same time, I do have a TikTok, which I use for class and other stuff at Mr. Ferroni, which my last name, F-E-R-R-O-N-I. And again, if there's, I love sharing teacher stories. So if teachers want to share events, uh, just they can obviously message me and connect with me. And, and I would love to wait a, a way to connect them with, again, if press, if they want to share it publicly or privately, I love to share that their, their stories because Everyone, it's, it's fine. I do a lot of press, but I always try to relate them to other teachers because my story is pale in comparison to so many educators in this country. And it's like, and it's like I, I feel guilt at times because I have it much better than they do. So the best thing I can do is use my platform to share their concerns and their words. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for providing you. for teachers. Uh, it's so needed. And I can tell you, I, I can tell you personally and professionally, I think that what you're doing is fantastic. And, and it's something that our educators need now more than ever. So thank you so much. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this. Of course. All right. Well, check that off your list, my friends. You just finished another episode of the Spark Chasers podcast. If you want more, head over to artsintegration.com forward slash Spark Chasers for show notes, a space to tell me what you thought of today's show, and links to what we talked about today. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. This helps others find the show so we can all grow and learn together. Can't wait to get together again soon.